0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. How is Christ's resurrection essential for our salvation? And actually, it's kind of surprising that this question has uh, kind of been somewhat neglected throughout church history. Uh, I think uh, if we look at the Reformation, the overriding concern there was to make clear that the death of Christ is not simply some kind of an example to be imitated, but it's a substitutionary expiatory sacrifice. And it propitiates the very justice, the wrath uh, of God. And of course, it is the atonement when we think of the death, so everything is to be seen in the light of the cross. The concentration on the death of Christ, uh, no doubt, is very necessary. We must always put that up there. But sometimes the resurrection in itself is like a uh, second to to that, and it is equal with the cross, as we will uh, see as we we'll look at some of the passages today. Uh, the resurrection is necessary. The cross is necessary. We must look at both of them. But like I say, it can be largely overlooked. Sometimes the resurrection only serves as kind of like an apologetic value. And it's not anything more than that. Just kind of showing the deity of Christ and proving that. Uh, The idea of Christianity in general is held because of that. But when you turn to the New Testament and you see the doctrinal oversight that that we have sometimes, it's lacking. It's lacking sometimes. As we look at the letters of Paul, we will see the resurrection just being heralded as equal with the cross. People proclaim that Christ's resurrection is vital to the gospel. It's essential for the accomplishment of our salvation. Of course, Christ's work was done at the cross, but at the same time, the whole work is in his death, burial, resurrection, and of course that ascension. That's the whole thing. That's the idea of the the gospel. All the gospels end in uh, the exaltation. You think of the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ. Um, When we think of uh, not only the gospels, we think of the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, every time the gospel is preached, it's proclaimed, we will understand that there is a resurrection. It's made clearly. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, uh, in Acts 2, at Solomon's porch in Acts 3, the Sanhedrin in in Acts 4 as it was preached, the apostles' answer to the council on Acts 5, there again is the resurrection. You think of the evangelist Stephen and the great sermon that he preached, and he preaches the exaltation right there uh, near the end of Acts chapter 7. And then in Acts 10, where you have Peter and Cornelius, you have the gospel being proclaimed there, and the resurrection is put forth. When Paul preached in Antioch in uh, Acts chapter 13, he focused on the resurrection. So we've we've worked through the book of Acts. You'll see it continue on all the way through. And you think of Thessalonica, where he reasoned uh, in the synagogue for three Sabbaths, and he preached The scriptures explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. What a key point. All the way through the book of Acts. It's a crucial aspect. And so the the glory of the resurrection has to be seen. Paul says in Romans 10.9 that we must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You see that there's a regeneration because of this Redeemer's resurrection, you think of Ephesians, you think of Colossians, you think of First uh, Corinthians. Uh, in Romans chapter uh, four, verse twenty-four and twenty-five, he was raised because of our justification. We'll be touching on that. Uh, according to First Corinthians fifteen fourteen, our gospel is absolutely empty if we have no resurrection of the dead. A resurrection of Jesus if he had not risen so the resurrection itself is indispensable it is the heart of the gospel and it's a redemption that Jesus had to complete he just didn't die there right so that's how important it is why don't we rise (laughs) speaking of resurrection and uh, we're going to turn to Matthew 28 read the first six verses Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, became like dead men. The angel said to the women, "'Do not be afraid.' For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. let pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. May your word be impounded into our minds, into our very thoughts this morning about the very heart of the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection the important aspects of the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for that, for we would be people most to be pitied. It would be ridiculous to even try to stand here and worship day. It would be worthless. It would be empty. So, Lord, help us to concentrate on this all-important, important aspect as we think about it today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We go first to uh, the certainty of Christ's resurrection. It had seemed like the sun had gone out of sight. Think of that Friday, and that Friday afternoon where a light turned to darkness. It seemed like the res- the light itself spiritually receded into darkness. The one that was proclaimed to be the light of the world, he proclaimed that he was a light, proclaimed that he was life. And now, as he has been seen to be executed in the most worthy, unworthy manner that could be done in the history of mankind, uh, he is one of humble ways. Christ showed his humility. He put it on display at the cross, the most horrific death on the cross that we can imagine. So the sun goes down. When it goes down in our part of the world, Somewhere else on the part of the world, on the other side, there's a new day. There's a new day and it comes part of that other world. Same way with Christ, having finished in His course, He rises again. And uh, we see another glorious part here. This title is dealing with not only this humility of Christ dying, but it's really the glory that He wanted to be restored back to Him. By the way, first time that ever happened to Him. This is God. Christ has a glorified body when He raises again. That had never happened. He had never had a body until He was incarnated. There were pre-incarnate appearances in the Old Testament. But there was the incarnation of Christ. But that body died and then rose again. That guarantees that we will have a resurrection even though that body was like and same as the body he had before, it was different, it was glorified. That body is forever for Jesus Christ. He will have a body, even though he also is God, he is spirit, he also has a body in perfect glory. And that's what we concentrate on. That's an amazing thing. He had never had anything like that. And now he carries it for eternity. So he began to recover his glory. And really, we see the glory of God right on the cross as the justice and wrath is met by Christ. Remember in John 17, Jesus said, Restore unto me the glory that I once had. And of course, he... It's that glory. Uh, there's the declaration of, uh, by the angels to kind of show the certainty of Christ's resurrection as we uh, looked here in Matthew 28. It says in verse 6, He is not here for He has risen just as He said. Come see the place where He is lying. That's the news. You know, we hear that. We, we hear that. We think about it. He's not here. He's risen. An angel It's like descends from from the heavens to roll away the stone, not to let Jesus out. He didn't need to be let out. He he could go right through that wall. It's not a matter of that. He just appears wherever he wants to be. But you have a heavenly herald here to proclaim the resurrection to the two Marys who had love to Christ. And they came uh, came to the sepulcher. And uh, that's where he had been left. And now we have this news that he's not here. And you'll notice that there are keepers, the guards. In verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him. They like dead men. <coughs> the keepers, the guards, they're trembling. They came as dead men. So great was this terrible majesty, awesome majesty that had happened. It's very solemn that goes along with Christ's resurrection. But to encourage these good souls, the angel prevents them from going into an absolute depression because he comes in and brings in good tidings. He is not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. That's a declaration by the angels right off the bat that there is proof. Walk in there. That's really why the stone was rolled away. It would be for them to go in and see it empty. It was negative and it was affirmative. First, negatively, he's not here. (laughs) He is not here. Positively, affirmatively, he has risen. He has risen. A self-quickening principle here. Christ raised himself from the dead, as in the Godhead of Christ God the Father, Holy Spirit, they raise this manhood. Uh, we get confirmation here as he says, Come see the place where the Lord lay. The grave had a guest. The grave lost its guest. It's not there. It received. The grave always receives and retains. It received and didn't retain. Come see the place where the Lord lay. From heaven, we have the testimony of angels. Angels given testimony. Credit is due there. The angels are holy creatures. They never sinned. Angels can't deceive. Good angels cannot lie. The angel tells the two Marys he's risen. What kind of a doctrine do we have out of here? We have the power, the almighty power of the Godhead operating, reviving one from the dead. To the enemies, this is terror and fright. They're in awe. The ones who were hired by the Jewish people, the Roman guards standing around, and they know it's something truly amazing, and awe, some, frightfully to them. But to the believers, it's a consolation. There's a comfort. The two Marys are there. They're comforted told to go tell the disciples. Disciples should have remembered what was going to happen. Jesus had told them that. Old Testament prophecies, and there are many. It's not our duty today to go through all the certainties of the Scripture. We've been through that many times down through the years, but we'll do just a few. I'm going to do one out of the Old Testament. In Psalm 16, of course, Psalm 16 is a great one dealing with uh, delivery out of death. In 1610, Peter used this verse to talk about the resurrection. He used that right in uh, Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the first one. It says, For you will not abandon my soul to the Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay the holy one is the messiah david knew he'd resurrect but it comes to the point of the messiah that resurrect and job knew that he would see his redeemer i know that my redeemer lives he lives always many old testament prophecies how about Christ's own prophecies Of course, in his last few weeks, he he told the disciples three times that we are mentioned in the Scripture here in the Gospels that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer and die and rise from the dead. So they shouldn't have been surprised. Kept telling them that. John 2, 19 through 21, we have Jesus at... The temple and his clean house there, literally. <laughs> and uh, he says, Destroy this temple and I'll make it rise again. He's talking about his body. Christ talked about his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, one of the most detailed, maybe the most detailed chapter in the whole Bible about the resurrection. And we might as well read a little bit of that. Now I make known to you, verse 1, Brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins, According to the scriptures, it has been written that way through the Old Testament that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. that's all there that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until until now, some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Many appearances that he made. Sometimes 500 brethren saw him all at once. Some of them were even living when that had even been written. These were people who would not deceive. I mean, they would know about it. That that would have been squelched immediately, their testimonies, if There had been a body that was dead, still remaining that way. There's no point in religion as of more confessed truth and invaluable certainty than what is before us right here. No other religions have a living Savior. Those religions, they have their prophets, their saviors, their gods are dead. None have a living Savior. There remains no doubt of the certainty of Christ's resurrection. We need to spend no more words to confirm that. What we're going to do now is open up the nature, the very manner of the resurrection. The nature of Christ's resurrection. Christ rose with an awesome majesty. Go back to our Matthew 28 Read verses 2 through 4. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. This is one of those highest number on on the the Richter scale. (laughs) For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone, sat upon it. What power this angel has to roll away this, was a two-ton stone, whatever. And His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing, as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, became like dead men. It's what we got, we have going on right here the, that morning. The earthquake, earthquake as itself, is, is amazing, but it's a sign of triumph this would happen there was darkness the day before the keepers they're scared to death you have the neighboring city all around bethany and bethlehem they experience an earthquake probably but this this idea of what happened here is going to explode to the whole world this is what we triumph as the most amazing thing that's happened in the world that there has been death defeated by one. He overcome death. He was like a conqueror. Lifted up his head above all of his enemies. Defied death as he rose. He went out of the grave. It was like he marched through a bloody battlefield here on this world, in this earth. It's like a pomp and majesty. It's like a conqueror defeated death. People who knew him. Can you imagine the things they had to be thinking? It's an awesome majesty. Christ was also attended with the resurrection of many saints. We go to Matthew 27, verse 52 and 53. Quite an incredible thing that happened here. All sorts of incredible things happening. In those hours, 52, the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. It just aren't too many people who touch that. And I don't usually <laughs> touch much of it either. All I can say is it happened. I believe it. That would be awesome. Can you imagine being kin to these people? Maybe it's your mother or your, your father. Maybe it's your brother or sister. Wow. Can you imagine being one that was taken out of that? What a splendor, splendorous thing. They awaken, raised to attend the Lord at his at His rising also. They adorn the resurrection of Christ, there they are walking all over the streets of Jerusalem. Anybody would have known that they were dead. they just they how can they doubt what happened with Jesus? They give a pledge to the resurrection many saints that's a special resurrection isn't it? That is really special. We tend to forget that These people have been great testimonies. I don't know how long that they walked around it. Surely they died again or they were taken to be with the Lord. And wouldn't, wouldn't you want to go <laughs> absent from the body and present with the Lord? And they're just saying, wow, what am I doing here? <laughs> they're giving great testimony. What kind of testimony would you want? Somebody else. And there's another person and they're attesting to the resurrection of Christ that it's real. God doesn't really mention anything more. I can't take you to some other text where this particular thing happened. There, there are places where Jesus had brought people back to, to life. Uh, resuscitations, it really wasn't the resurrection that we, we look forward to in our own lives, but uh, he brought them back to life for a time. But he cast kind of a veil of silence over this. You read those two verses and you go, this is overwhelming. I'm just content with the written Word of God. If Jesus Christ can raise from the dead, why can't He bring up others? And, of course, He did. None of this is a hoax, is it? We do have the Scriptures, and these Scriptures are the best of all the manuscripts in the whole wide world. Nobody has manuscripts that date back to this time, and this many. Some of them do date back to this time, but there are only a few, maybe five, I think it goes the Homer's Iliad and Odyssey and those kind of things. That's a that's a tremendous thought of knowing that we can we have a reliability here that we can trust in this idea of these manuscripts that have been given this resurrection. Also, it's uh, the nature of Christ's resurrection is by the power of His own Godhead. He raised Himself. Think of John ten where. He speaks of, uh, I have the power to take this life and then to take it back up again. Christ said that. I lay down my life that I may take it again. Wow. 1 Peter 3.18, he said to be put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's by the very power of the Godhead, divine nature. You think of the human nature and such, and there's the divine nature operating in this. He offered himself up to God when he died, Hebrews 9.14. That's by his own Godhead. Romans 1.4 said that he was declared to be the Son of God with power, with dunamis, with dynamite, by his resurrection from the dead. He was declared... To be the Son of God. What more had appeared in Him than in others. The others are revived by the very, very power of God Himself. The very Godhead. Christ also is the firstborn from the dead. Colossians one eighteen. See the head of the church, the head of the body in Colossians. He is also the head, verse 18, of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Firstborn there is preeminent, Prototokos the preeminence that he has. Being the head of the church, he's the one that is resurrected. Lazarus had come back to life, yet it wasn't by himself, was it? He had no intention of doing that. He knew he couldn't do it anyway. It was by the very virtue and power of God. The Godhead. Others who had been resuscitated died again, but here's the true firstborn, the preeminent. It's another nature. Another part, aspect of his nature is he secured our resurrection. You see, Scripture speaks so much of the unity of the Christian with Christ. We are, we, Romans 6 says, we die with Christ. We were buried with Christ. And we rose again in Christ. Even though we have not risen again, spiritually we have. We still wait for this resurrection of the body. Death recovered them again. Christ dies no more. We will die no more. He was the first. To open the womb of the earth, first firstborn for the dead. That's preeminent, isn't it? And as we think about securing our resurrection as he did that, it means, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, talks about the first fruits. And by the way, if you go in the order of the Passover that the Jews would have, they would have unleavened bread that week. Also in that same week was the Passover. And then, after that Sabbath, it was that third day that it turned out to be, which was called First Fruits, which they had been celebrating as a feast for since the time of the lawgiver, Moses. 1,500 years they'd been celebrating that. It was First Fruits. Guess who was raised again on First Fruits? He is the unleavened bread. He is the Passover, as Paul says in First Corinthians five. And he is the first fruits, first fruits, as First Corinthians fifteen, verse twenty says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. There's our guarantee. He's the first fruits because of his resurrection. There's more to come. First Fruits just said, okay, we're putting this here, but there's a guarantee that now we have more coming. More coming later. The First Fruits. What an order that had been set forth. Now we go to point three. This is the influence that the resurrection of Christ has on us, on the saints first of all it's meritorious what he did in romans 4:25 we get great theology out of this you see that's why just the cross itself is not enough even though we look to the cross we talk about the cross we sing about the cross everything goes back to the cross but in romans 4 verse 25 he who was delivered over because of our transgressions. He was delivered to the cross to die for a transgression our sins and was raised because of our justification. For us to be justified, He still has to come up out of the grave. Otherwise, the dead Savior means nothing to us. So, I think that's amazing that He's raised. It's it's about our... Own justification. the meritorious cause of the Christian's resurrection it completed the very satisfaction of the Father. It finished the payment. so our justification is actually assigned to it as we note from Romans 4:25. It's a cancellation of the bonds that we were in we were in slavery. Cancels the payments. If this is not done, we're still in our sins. We have no forgiveness. If that is not done. If you look in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, of course we say, well, it, it, it was the cross. Yes, but remember the importance of the resurrection. It's just as important. The two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. It wasn't just the cross, but it's the resurrection also that forgives us. That we now are proclaimed justified. That we are declared righteous. His righteous acts were done. He gives us his righteousness. The power of God raised him from the dead. The price was paid in his death. His payment was finished. The work was done there at the cross, but the payment is finished as whenever he is revived and the discharge then received for us. The resurrection to eternal life, we're justified. We are forgiven. We said nothing else this morning. We have proof that we have forgiveness of sins. Even though we know full well that we are battling and warring with sin constantly, isn't it good to know you are forgiven? It's efficient. It's also efficient. Meritorious, it's efficient, it's effective. When the time shall come, the saints shall rise out of the dust. They'll be raised by Christ. He is the head. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, that we died. We have died. Verse 3, here's our position. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is the man. That is the one who was the sinner against a holy God dead in sins but made alive to Christ. We're now dead to the flesh. That fleshly part of life. Dead to that. We live in Christ seated where he is Seated in the heavenlies, look in Romans eight ten through eleven Romans eight the great chapter of Romans eight If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This stuff may sound like fairy tales to most people if they're not in Christ. Here it is. We've been raised spiritually, but there will be a resurrection of our bodies. Amazing. What a pattern that was set forth. Christ was raised substantially his body is like what he had before but it's glorified it's not a different body in place of his body and our body will be not absolutely different from us only the difference is, is the glorification it wouldn't be a resurrection if we came up with some other kind of body it would just, it would be a creation the resurrection. He brings that old body and brings it into glorification. And by the way, the body is so improved after the resurrection. Christ's body was marvelously improved as we see that he's a body that can do things that human bodies do, and he he's a body that can also do things that These bodies can't do as he just appears places in an instant. Raised in power, no flaw, no defects, no deformities. Improved by the resurrection, we can die no more. Awake and sing, right? And you know what? Your soul, once you die, your spirit, your soul goes to be with the Lord. You know what? Your soul is desiring the body that, that it's so familiar with. It wants the body. And that's what God has planned. Can you imagine the reuniting of the body and your spirit? Body's in the grave. Spirit's with the Lord. Soul reenters body resurrected and it comes to life again and the chief joy of all of this as we close here it's the very purpose for what this glorified soul comes down to and is, is, is quickened to repossess this it's to meet the Lord to see him as he is and be like him we'll be with him but there will be a time when we will be like him with that same body. What an ecstasy of joy that we will have. Think about it. And that's all guaranteed. What kind of pleasure will that be? For our soul will resume in this resurrection body. Imagine what a sunshine morning. Whatever it is. You you ever wake up to the sunshine of a morning? Like yesterday, is great to see. No more agonies. Bitter groans will be recompensed at the joy of such a meeting. Our soul into the new body. What's this mean? Death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15. The victory has been done. Death is defeated right now. Secondly, and we close with this, we are to use the bodies that we have now, which God has given us, to live out this little time of life that we have before He comes back to glorify Him. These are designed to glorify Him. As weak as they are, we can do the work of Christ. That's the reason that we're here. We're here to worship God and we're also to take this gospel message that we just learned about whenever we became Christians and have carried it all of our lives. We're to take that forth now in our lives, show forth Christ, give people the gospel. Dear Holy Father, thank you for your word, your truth. May it penetrate into our hearts of so many things that happened at this resurrection and how it affects us today as we are right here in this room. Lord, what a glorious story. It could only be told by you and presented by you. Thank you for applying it to us. And if anyone is here that has not had that applied to them, we'd pray that they would repent of their sins and see the need for the risen Savior so that they would be with Him forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you till next time